I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. It's been a busy few days in the Boston Celtics world, but before we get into that, Brendan is with us. Brendan has not disappeared for a second show in a row. I think this means he's back permanently. I felt him roll his eyes across the Atlantic Ocean as I said that. What's up, Brendan? That's the plan, man. That's the plan. I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm doing well. I, I will say I wish that the Celtics went a little bit of a different direction with some of the draft picks yesterday, but overall, it was, it was a pretty fun and exciting night, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I was tired. And I've been really, really tired today um, due to the time difference. But it was fun. I had fun. Yeah. And, you know, do you want to start with talking about that a little bit? Or do we want to cover this Gordon news that just came out probably uh, not even an hour before we're recording this? Yeah, I think we could start with Gordon, look at the team options. So we'll look at the players that we're already aware of, like we've seen play on this roster for at least a season or two. And then we'll finish up by giving our thoughts on the draft. Sound good? Works for me. Works for me too. So... We had the news a little bit before 5 p.m. We're talking Eastern. We're talking like, what, two minutes before? I mean, Hayward left it late, as you expect Hayward yep. to do. Hayward's opting out of his final year of his contract, and he's now a free agent, and I'm very sad about this. Yeah, opted out of $34 million, which, you know, he's not going to get that money. Um, Obviously, he's looking for something a little longer, would be my guess. Um, but surprised, you know, unless he's re-upping with Boston, which at this point feels pretty unlikely. I feel like he probably would have accepted that $34 million if he wanted to stay. Um, there's a good chance that, you know, he's walking and, and the Celtics don't get anything here, I think. Yeah, so the options that are available are he can walk away for nothing and go and sign with a team that's got space. We're looking at Atlanta and New York, most likely as the two primary candidates for that to happen. He could sign a new deal with Boston and then be moved in a side, then be moved in a sign and trade. Or he could restructure, restructure with Boston, sign back with them on a longer term deal and then stay with the team for the next few seasons. Which one do you feel is most likely, Brendan? At this point, I feel like it's most likely he just ends up going to a different team. Like uh, something tells me Atlanta, you know, I think they're a team that's looking to, have an impact right now and yeah I mean Gordon is a great secondary playmaker for them to pick up and all of a sudden probably makes them a playoff team in in the east I don't know I mean they're going to be fighting for that eight spot because the east is going to be underratedly good next year even though the west gets all the talk but yeah my guess is you know at this point Gordon can just sign in the cap space with yeah Atlanta or the other one's New York right so what, you're just expecting him to walk? You don't feel like a sign and trade's more likely? You think the most likely option is that Hayward leaves, just walks away? Yeah, I don't think there's a, I don't think that there's a need for him to sign and trade unless there's like some team he's specifically looking to go to. But even then, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a possibility. But at this point to me, I kind of feel like it's, he, he can just walk to one of those two destinations and not have to go through these complications, you know, and if they throw him a big enough contract with three, four years on it, I think it'd be pretty appealing to him. You see, I think it comes down more to what his family wants as well. I mean, if he doesn't want his kids or his wife doesn't want to live in Atlanta or New York, then a sign and trade becomes way more beneficial to him because he can have a little bit more control about where he's going other than just the teams that can afford to pay him. He does Boston a solid by 
seeing some assets come back. And then, you know, he could go to a team that's actually a little bit more of a contending team than what Atlanta or New York considered to be. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the most logical outcome. I just feel like if you want more control over where you're going to go, then a sign and trade will give you that because of the lack of teams with cap space this offseason. Yeah, makes sense. And I would obviously prefer that. I think it'd be better for Boston. Um, yeah, it's just going to be about finding a suitor that is willing to pay Hayward an amount that he feels like is reasonable because, again, I think if Atlanta or New York, I know they're not necessarily ideal situations. Um, if, if they offer enough money, I, I would got to think that it, it's pretty tempting. Yeah, I mean, depending on what the salary is. And I feel like New York may be more tempting for him just because of how big that franchise is and how rough they've had it over the last million years at this point. But Atlanta's got probably a better young core than what New York did. So it is interesting to see what happens there. I just feel like if he if he's got his heart set on going to a team that's not going to just be satisfied with, you know, snagging an eighth seed this season and then maybe getting a fifth or sixth seed next season, if he's looking for a little bit more than that, then a sign and trade is going to be exactly what he wants. And if he really does want to be contending for a championship, then opting out and restructuring is going to give him everything he wants there. It all depends on, does he want to be a primary option? What's he valuing more, money or contention? And none of us know the answers to that except for him. So all of this is just speculation. But what he wants is going to instantly impact what type of teams he's looking to move to. Yeah, I mean, what do you see as, as being most likely? I mean, I feel like a sign-in trade is probably the most likely just because he came to Boston and he was so hell-bent on it being to win a championship and he wanted to win a ring. And that's why all these guys are playing. And he can still earn a considerable amount of money by restructuring and then being moved in a sign-in trade. Yeah. But if his whole value is just, if everything he wants to do is win a championship and contend every year, then I don't see why you don't restructure long-term with Boston. The only thing is, as reports have surfaced over the last few days, he's not really happy with his role in Boston. He wants the ball in his hands a little bit more. He came here as a two, as a number two option, and now media, like, like you know, people across all of Boston media openly discuss him as a fourth man. And I don't think that sits well with him. And that contract's kind of been like a lead weight around his neck, so I wouldn't hold it against him if he decided he wanted to move on either. Yeah, I think that's that's very well said by you. Um, I think Gordon obviously would be a very valuable player to to keep on the team, but if he wants out, it it would be nice for Boston to get a little bit of something in return in the form of a sign and trade. But yeah, don't be too surprised if he ends up walking for nothing. Um, is there there were two other contracts uh, updates today, right? With Taco and Tremont, the two way guys. Yeah, so Boston extended qualifying offers to both of them now that isn't to make them full nba players in air quotes you know what i mean they're not going to get a roster spot as a guaranteed contract those qualifying offers are basically extending second two-way deals to both of those guys and the caveat is this year because of the way the season's been kind of restructured and it's condensed usually a two-way contract will be 45 days total with an nba team that can be training days traveling days or game days it's just an accumulation up to 45 days. Now, with the way the league is this year, it's going to be 50 games with your NBA team, which is a heck of a lot more than 45 days. So by extending this to Trayman and Tucker, 
the team really get to take a look at these guys a lot closer, get to have them around practice a, a whole a whole lot more, and can monitor monitor their development moving into next free agency. Whether or not both of those guys pick up that option is completely a different story. Yeah, I'll say I, I think there were some guys at the end of the first round, or actually it would have to be beginning of the second in order to make them two-way contracts because everyone in the first round has guaranteed deals. But Celtics had pick 30. They could have traded back a little bit. And I think there are some guys I would have preferred over Taco on that two-way contract. But yeah, this is just moves on the margins and you know, can't really critique that all too much. I understand a little bit of the theory with Taco and definitely a Tremont fan. So yeah, those, those moves are fine. I mean, look, man, I've made no secret about what I consider Taco to be in the league. Uh, I spoke about it at so much length that I'm actually bored of speaking about it. So all I'm going to say is I feel like there was better value in the second round that they could have used the two-way yeah. contract on than Taco. And I genuinely believe if Taco's ever going to amount to a rotation NBA player, he needs to be on a rebuilding team where he's getting legitimate minutes on a nightly basis. Yeah, and Boston is definitely not the situation there. And you know, speaking of guys potentially being available in the second round that we would have liked better, do you want to go through the selections that that the Celtics did make last night? Yeah, I mean, we missed one contract though, and we'd be crucified if we missed telling oh. one more. And that's the Celtics have picked up their team option on Shemi Ojale for next season. Mm-hmm. Which at Why this not, point, right? so yeah, I mean, at this point though, do you move Boston to Buffalo because of the amount of wings they've got? Hey, <laughs> dad joke number one of the day, dude. <laughs> you can never have too many. I love the style. I mean, I get it. I understand it. But you've just drafted Naismith or Neesmith, as he likes to be called, as Keith tweeted out this morning. So you've just drafted Neesmith. You've got Romeo. That I get it. You can you play Romeo more at the two than the three, but Romeo can play the three. You've got Shemi. There's just so many wings. And then obviously you've got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Like, mm-hmm. Couldn't that roster spot have been better used elsewhere? Maybe. Maybe not. I just feel like we've been waiting for this this next step from Shemi into a, a very reliable 3 and D guy for years now. And it's, it's never materialized. So yeah. taking that extra year means that you think he's capable of becoming that reliable 3 and D guy. And the only thing that's missing is consistency. So maybe they, maybe it's right. Maybe it just it's going to take him this year to find that consistency. I'm just not sold yeah. on him. I wonder if that means they believe in him. I mean, even if he only took very slight improvements, he's still an okay, like ninth guy just to fill minutes throughout the regular season. You know? Yeah, I get it. But like, you've got like I get it. You bring him into as your wing stopper and you bring him in to kind of galvanize a defense when Marcus Smart's mm-hmm. sitting. And I understand that. But now you've got two other young guys and Romeo can play decent defense as well. And you're going to want to give him minutes once he's back and right. healthy because obviously he's going to miss the start of the season due to that surgery he had. Um, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure where his minutes are going to come from or who, where his minutes are going to kind of hinder other players. Now, this is opting under the assumption if Hayward's not there, then there's going to be those minutes to fill. And this makes far more sense at that point. Yeah. Do you have the figure of how big the option was? I can get it. You tell me your your opinion on this and I'll get it. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think that even if he doesn't play much, it's not a substantial amount um, from my memory. And yeah, I don't know. Having a guy that, you know, can fill minutes on the wing in case of 
injury and just kind of a reassurance throughout the regular season. And I, I don't mind that at all. Again, I think it's kind of something on the margins and situationally he's been not bad against teams like Milwaukee, which obviously holds a lot of value or like a Toronto with Siakam. He's not great, but he's a body you can throw at it. So I don't know a few uh, regular season rotation minutes, even if they're spotty. And I would hope obviously he's not getting play over Neesmith that uh, yeah, I, I really don't mind it because the figure is not, substantial yeah so it's 1.75 million dollars so it's very minimal in terms of cap hit so if he if he doesn't even play half the games i mean that's it's not like it feels like a terrible contract or anything you know yeah for me it's just you know if he does play where are those minutes coming from and at whose expense you've got you've just drafted another young wing that you're going to want to see play minutes you took him you know, last pick of the lottery. You've got another guy that you chose at the last pick of the lottery last year. These guys need minutes to develop. Otherwise, what are they doing on the roster? They're young. They need time to actually make those mistakes and learn at an NBA level. And by keeping yeah. somebody like Shemi that struggles for consistency, outside of them being kind of resigned to Haywood walking, I'm just not too sure what the thought process is here. Yeah, I mean, even like a Killian Tilly sort of situation or something like that, right? Uh, was There were some good undrafted guys that I'm surprised Celtics weren't able to pick up on. But yeah, I would hope that Shemi being on the roster doesn't take away minutes from, like you're saying, Neesmith and Romeo, who really are going to have big years in regards to, especially Romeo, in regards to kind of how the franchise and fan base are going to view those guys moving forward, needs to stay healthy and should definitely get a lot of run. And speaking of... Neesmith there at pick 14. Um, how, how did you feel when you heard Neesmith was the guy? I was okay with it. I was honestly, I, wa- I wasn't mad at it at all. Um, Neesmith is probably the best shooter in the draft. He can shoot off movement. He can shoot, um, pull up coming off screens. He can, he can score when he, like, he can score off the catch. He can spot up and score. I feel like he's going to be a very, very good dead eye shooter in this league. I just don't think that. He projects to be much more than firepower off the bench, and that's fine because that is exactly what Boston needed. Does have a bit of size to him though, so if he can figure out some of that athleticism, try and get a bit stronger, try and get a little bit quicker laterally, then he might not be a complete negative on defense either. Yeah, I'll say Neesmith was a guy that I uh, definitely fell down my board towards the end here. I actually ended up having him ranked 27th, and it's for me, like, I just don't know outside of shooting, and it's really just primarily catch and shoot what Neesmith's going to be good at. But if any team is going to make him competent on defense, because I think that he understood the scheme and would play towards the scheme, he just has poor physical tools in regards to his lateral quickness. Um, but he does have the length that he's working with. Like you said, I think he's 6'6", and I believe it's a 6'10 wingspan. Um, so there's promise there and, you know, Boston is a team that has been typically good at teaching defense, I feel like. And yeah, so I, I just, Neesmith's not a guy to me that I want putting the ball on the floor at all, but for Boston, that makes sense, right? You have your high usage guys already. So Neesmith running through screens and I, I can talk myself into Boston, you know, getting him to the point of an average defender. Although I worry, you know, there is an outcome where he does get targeted on that end. 
Yeah, and I feel like he's going to be targeted and he's going to be targeted until he improves enough that targeting him doesn't pay as much dividends as what teams expected it to. Mm-hmm. Which is fine because most rookies, you expect your rookies to get targeted if you're not drafting a special, a defensive specialist. Right. Um, when you say like all he does is shoot after catch and shoot, I get that when I say he's good at scoring off coming off screens. I mean, off pin downs and, yeah. you know, like flare screens off balls. So he's going to offer that off ball gravity that should open up some driving lanes for guys like Tatum and Brown. And he is, his mechanics are really nice. Like, so when people are saying they're not too sure on, whether that 40%, was it 40% ish or 50? 50, dude. Yeah, he, he only played 14 games. This, this is year. it, right? Yeah, he only played 14 games, but he shot 52% from three and he shot eight of them a game. So only 14 games, but 52% on 115 total attempts. And I get it, it wasn't against premium opposition either because he was injured by the time the season got deep enough to play like other top college teams. But the mechanics on the shot were good. They were very pretty mechanics. And regardless, he has a quick of, release, which is really underrated in shooters. I think. Yeah, me too. And he can he can score over length. He's got the height to be able to score over closeouts. Whether mm. or not he's gonna, I mean, look, would you be happy I, if he shot thirty-seven percent on four attempts a night? Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, I would hope for a little more, honestly. But I I think that I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I always try and be conservative with um my rookie projections. I say always yeah. because I wasn't conservative with Carson Edwards and I learned my lesson. <laughs> so now I will always yeah. try and be. So 37% on four attempts a night is a conservative expectation for a guy that's been bought in for bench shooting. Uh, yeah, I was what? more than happy with it because it filled a need. Mm-hmm. What scares me most with Neesmith is like he just can't put the ball on the floor, in my opinion. Um during those 14 games, he had 13 total assists and 24 total turnovers. I think he's a really poor decision maker with the ball in his hands. But, yeah, I mean, again, Celtics have those high usage guys and just limit those decisions for him to primarily transition or just understand swinging it to the next guy. Or, yeah, I think that he can be really valuable off ball um, for this team specifically. So, yeah, well, I don't love him. Neesmith. It makes sense to me. Yeah, it's like you don't want him in a ball handling role, but you want him as a Duncan Robinson or a Kyle Corvus type of position where he's literally just there to get buckets and create spacing for your better, your better initiation, initiators to kind of get to work. And I'm fine with that. I feel like if that's what you're going to get at 14, it was something that Boston was sorely missing last season. Look, man, I'm cool with that. Let's see what Neesmith can do at this point. Yeah, my issue primarily came with pick 26. Uh, man, I'm not a big Peyton Pritchard guy. Let me tell you, there was a lot of point guards that I liked better than Pritchard, even if you were just talking four-year guys. Say the Celtics wanted an NBA-ready point guard, like Malachi Flynn, who went to Toronto a lot better. I like Grant Riller, who insanely dropped to 56 Um Personally, I, I think that there were better point guards. Tyrell Terry was on the table. Um, so, yeah, but the Celtics just go for another shooter here. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't I'm, say he's just a shooter, though. His handle looks like... Did you see the videos of his ball handling drills after um, that surfaced on Twitter after? And it, he just... It was like it was glued to his hand. He projects to me 
that the Celtics made this pick based more on leadership and um, work ethic and intensity than they did on actual overall skill. And yeah. that makes sense to me. I mean, he's got a he had a ridiculous season shooting the free ball. Um, doesn't seem to be a great playmaker from the very limited film I've seen, but looks like he can get some assists. Um, and then he's going to be able to to drain some buckets. And he apparently, according to Danny Ainge, he likes to get get out in transition and force people to run. So he may not be the best point guard that was available, but he might be the best put, the best fit at backup point guard that was available. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna be able to talk me into this one. I'm, I, I, I could see it working out. Um, I just personally, there were multiple point guards that I thought were better. Um, yeah, he's gonna be a good shooter, which is important, you know. And I do like his handle, but I question it a little bit because I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of his playmaking. And then the defense wasn't, uh, wasn't phenomenal to me either. Like uh, even, I mean, he's only going to guard ones probably. Right. And even that defense, I don't know. You could say like, obviously he had a very high offensive usage rate at Oregon. So maybe the defense gets a little bit better with that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's guys I, I would have liked better. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty disappointed with this one. I mean, I don't feel like I've watched enough film to be disappointed because then I'd be like, Hey, I watched, you know, 400, 500 possessions on offense and defense to have that real good grasp of what he's about. Um, I'm going off mainly what I've read, the reports. I've looked more for personality in what I've been reading, just to see, you know, what type of guy have they brought in? Is he going to work hard? How is he going to fit with the rest of the team? What's he going to bring coming off the bench? And if he can bring that work ethic and that leadership skill that Danny Ainge was speaking about in the post-game presser, and then shoot 36 37% a game from deep, like, you know, two assists a night, three assists a night, unlimited minutes with limited offensive load and not become too much of a liability, like unplayable, not become unplayable on D, then you can start looking at where he's going to be in a year or two. Now, the thing is, he's a four-year guy coming out of college. They're usually more polished and it's usually what you see is what you get. So maybe they're just looking for a plug-and-play backup point guard that can take over what Wanamaker was doing. I do... I'm not sure whether this is a downgrade from Wanamaker, though, again, because I haven't seen enough film. There was just some Wanamaker news as well, no? Um, didn't they not extend a qualifying offer? Yeah, we missed Wanamaker. Sorry, everybody. Yes, yeah, so they've decided not to extend a qualifying offer to Wanamaker. That doesn't mean he won't be back in Boston. Um, it's just allowing him to see what values out there for his services before they decide whether or not to extend him an offer. Also, Ennis Cantor picked up his $5 million player option. He did? He did? Oh, dude, we, you want to start, we were both so eager to talk about draft course. Um <laughs> We Cantor got him in. Did. I mean, I'm not, personally, I don't expect Cantor to finish the season in Boston. Yeah. This could be a prerequisite to him being a make-weight in a trade, or they might flip him for a second-round pick, or they might send him out with an attached second-round pick just to get something back that's like protected, ridiculously heavily protected to move on from that contract. There's still a surplus of big men. Um, still got Vincent Poirier, still got Cantor. Both of those two, to me, are kind of surplus to requirements. And, you know, mate, I was hoping they'd kind of try and move those two guys on so they can take a run at somebody in free agency and have a little bit more of a fluid big man rotation. Yeah, and then the final pick uh, of that draft was pick 47. Boston took Yamadar, who is likely to be stashed um i feel pretty confident saying that one 
And yeah, he's just a defensive energy um, overseas point guard that really all of his stock right now goes into the defensive end, picking up guys full court. And yeah, he's interesting, but you know, needed to, needed to stash someone. And I want to ask you like, in general, do you trust Danny when it comes to some of these picks? Like, should I just trust Danny with Payne Pritchard? Cause I don't know how to feel about his drafting track record, you know, like Tatum and Brown obviously look really good, but those are top five picks, right? Like before that, I mean, are, are they great? You know, like you think of a uh, RJ Hunter, you think of was Shemi a second rounder? I think Shemi was second round. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, do you trust his? How do you feel about Danny and just draft uh, track record? So let's think. He drafted Smart. Smart was good. He drafted Titan. Titan was good. He drafted Alinic. Alinic turned out to be a very serviceable okay. big. Yeah. Yeah. He drafted Rozier. Rozier. Rozier's turned out to be a serviceable guard. Jalen and Tatum were both aware of. Um, mm-hmm. He drafted Romeo. Romeo, Oops. which we, okay. the jury's out. If people are writing right. off Romeo already, I think that's completely premature. Mm-hmm. Drafted Grant. Um, um, but then you look at guys like James Young. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of there. RJ Hunter. Yeah, these guys didn't right. pan out. But for for every hit you're going to get in the draft, you're going to get misses. To expect somebody to hit yeah. on every pick. And when you look at the team that's currently constructed for the Celtics since that trade where the, all those picks from Brooklyn came over, the whole core of it is made from draft selections, excluding Kemba. Right. You know, he drafted Robert Williams. Everybody's still holding out hope that Rob Williams is going to be able to make that leap and become a very serviceable big. If, if, now, if you look at it and say, right, so say Rob Williams fight, he earns the starting spot on that team. Yeah? Mm-hmm. He drafted Smart, Tatum, Brown, Williams, and then on the bench you're going to have Grant Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah, like a lot of that team has come through the draft. So yeah. I'm not saying you trust every move he makes, but you have to give people wiggle room to make mistakes too because you just cannot hit on every draft pick, whether you pick him first or whether you pick him 40th. Yeah, I think when you're talking late first is when I get a little more skeptical in regards to like kind of the history that he's working with. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely no reason to write it off because he's hit plenty of times as well. It's not like some GMs you can think of where nearly every pick bombs, you know, it's, it's probably more, more good than bad. Yeah. And I'm like, I agree there. Like later in the first rounds, he seems to kind of reach sometimes like i feel like this pritchard pick mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out would be looked at as a bad decision because it was such a reach at 26 um but if it works out then he's a genius do you know what i mean right and people are saying he's a bad drafter based on what happened on wednesday and we haven't seen these guys play yet we haven't seen how they're going to fit with this jigsaw because this jigsaw isn't all in place we don't know who's still going to be on the team come tip off of game one which is what a month away less than mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we're not that far. I mean, yeah, he's had some bad picks. You, you, there's no denying he's had some bad picks. But there's also guys yeah, around the league that are earning decent money, and one of them's just come off the back of a finals run that mm-hmm. are Danny Ainge picked. I just remembered Yabu also. I think he was like 16 somewhere. Well, yeah, Yabu was weird though, right? Because they picked him they as a draft. stash. Yeah, and then he wanted to come over, so then it was just completely not what they were trying to do. Yeah, so it's a legend can't... too, to be fair. Yeah, the uh, my wife knows him as the guy with the big butt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't we all? Yeah, I mean, we do. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I feel like Yabu should get a pass just because of the situation that kind of followed after being drafted. You're right, RJ Hunter. 
I mean, a lot of teams saw Rajay Hunter as a shooter. Sometimes these guys that are shooters in college just can't figure it out once they're in the NBA, you know, shooting over bigger, longer, more athletic guys, mm-hmm. a lot higher pace, so your legs are a little bit more tired. You know, I was really sad that they traded Desmond Bain. Yeah, I thought you wouldn't be happy about that. He actually was my, out of those three guys, Bain would have been my favorite of them. And what did they get in return? Wasn't it a future pick? Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I had trouble finding the exact pick that was announced. I don't think it's been completed yet. Okay. Yeah, makes me sad. Bane would have been so nice. It does. I mean, the one, and I know this isn't a Celtics player, but I want to mention it because you were so high on him and I wasn't. But I feel like Achua went to the best possible scenario for him. It's interesting because, like, I really view him as a five. And he's not going to play that next to Bam. Like, I weirdly don't like the fit next to Bam, but I think if anyone's going to make it work, it's totally Miami. Unless they play him as the, the bench five. Yeah, which I could. I was surprised that Maxi fell all the way to Philly. I know we were a little different on him as well. I, I didn't want Maxi at 14, but I wouldn't have, if Boston had packaged 26 and 30 to move up to, like, you know, 18, 19 and select Maxi, if he fell that far, then I think that would have been a great pick. Mm-hmm. RJ Hampton fell pretty far also, 24. Cole Anthony fell too. Yeah, Cole Anthony was there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. I I personally would have liked to see the Celtics go in a different direction, but yeah, time will tell. Who was on the board? Who would you have wanted at 14? At 14, I probably would have taken Tyrese Maxey. And then I think you groom him to be the guard of the future behind Kemba. Um. Yeah, I mean, I like the defense that he brings. You know, he's very Marcus Smart-esque, and I buy the jump shot. I know that my understanding is you weren't a biggest fan of that, but I definitely buy it with him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's really the main one. You know how broken I was when Kira Lewis went one pick ahead, dude? I know. I was I know. so broken, dude. Yeah, Jalen Smith going 10 shook up this draft, and it made Halliburton fall to 12 for Sacramento, which was a dream for me. Yeah, I was shocked at that. Um, Smith going at 10 as well. Yeah, I wouldn't crazy. have minded. I mean, okay, so now Smith was at 14. How would you have felt if they'd picked Sadiq Bay? I wouldn't have minded it. I, I mean, I like Bay better than Neesmith because I think he's a good shooter and has a little more stock putting the ball on the floor and I like his defensive instincts. Like, I like Bay better. Um, yeah, I, I like Bay a little better. How would you have felt about getting Tillman instead um, at 26 instead of Pritchard? I definitely would have liked Tillman better. Um, yeah, I, I see the need for a backup point guard, but like I would have liked Tillman better. How would you feel about the Kings trading Tillman? I actually love who the Kings came up with. Like I think Robert Woodard is a great pick. I think he would have been a really good pick at 26, actually. Um, a 3-and-D, 6-8 guy with a 7-1 wingspan, pretty viable to me. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I like Tillman, but like I, I fell on the value of centers a lot for sure. I feel like this draft is going to be one of those now where it's uh we're going to have to wait and see how it actually plays out because um the more yeah. I read about Pritchard, the higher I get on him in terms of um motor and attitude and application and you know mm-hmm. all the things you expect out of a four year college guy and out of a Celtic. Say that again. And out of a Celtic. Yeah, so you know you this is what I'm saying. He fits that Celtics culture, right? And that's going to no matter how much he struggles if he wears his heart on his sleeve, that's going to kind of endear him to the fans anyway. And I trust Danny to find a Celtic. You know what I mean? Like, even think about it, like Terry Rozier, like 
you wouldn't think of him as that type of guy. But when he's in that system, he totally fits the mold, you know? Oh, Terry, man. Scary Terry. I know. I actually was watching some Scary Terry stuff today. I was back at the Drew Bledsoe jersey and all that. Really? Yeah. Really that that was so And you know what else I watched today? Do you remember Jason Tatum's very first game as a Boston Celtic in Summer League was against Markel Fultz, and he had a game winner in his very first game? Where did you even find that? I was just on YouTube. I remember sitting weirdly in a Chili's parking lot watching this on my phone. And it was like my first impression. I was in love with Fultz, right? I'm because sure we did a podcast after that guy. We probably did. Because Fultz was like the consensus number one guy, right? And Boston had the first pick, had it locked for a while. I hyped myself up on Fultz so much. So when they traded to Tatum, I started to get a little excited about him. And then that first game, I think he dropped 24, something like that. He has pretty much a poster in the game and he's just... He's just cooking, you know, he's just doing all this footwork, classic Tatum stuff, and then hits a game winner at the end. And I was like, all right, well, this is this guy's first game in Boston. Well, and for Boston. Uh, been pretty representative. Yeah, for Boston. Send me the link to that. I'm pretty sure. I wish we could find some of our old podcasts, man. Man, yeah. Most of our guys are. I don't know where they even are. Right, yeah. guys, you've been listening to the Celtics Blood Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, let us know. Drop a five-star review. Leave something nice. If you didn't enjoy it, then... uh. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the next one. If you didn't like our takes, tweet at us. If you did like our takes, tweet at us. And we'll be back again on Monday. And hopefully, we'll have a little bit more clarity on what's going on with Gordon Hayward and if who the Celtics are targeting and if there's going to be any other types of moves. Say bye, Brendan. Bye-bye.